This is going to be a significant disaster. Great. Another disaster. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and other fine affiliates across this planet. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I got to wonder if the National Guardsmen and women uh, and those in the Coast Guard currently off the, uh, off the coasts of uh, Texas and Louisiana who may need to be called in in response to Hurricane Harvey, I got to wonder if the... If the people that they uh, will be helping or are helping uh, will care whether those folks are transgendered or not, you suppose that would be something that they'd say, hey, before you give me this uh, flood relief, National Guardsmen, uh, Coast Guardsmen, uh, d- drop your trousers. <laughs> Let's check and see if yeah. you're... <laughs> or, uh, you know, or if, the, or if the folks on the Gulf Coast right now facing havoc from... Hurricane Harvey will be happy for that help, no matter what gender it is or isn't of the of the people who are helping them. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, hurricane in a moment, but uh, th- that thought occurs to me today as Donald Trump's tweeted announcement a few weeks ago, taking the uh, military itself by surprise with his announcement that he plans to ban to bar all transgendered service members from serving their country in the armed services uh, as that series of tweets is now being crafted into actual policy that the military will be expected to carry out. Um, Anyway, we'll speak momentarily with with someone who worked on the previous policy under Barack Obama to lift the ban on transgender people serving openly in the armed forces. Uh, and about how Trump's Twitter-announced new policy is uh, helping to wreak the very havoc that he claimed his new policy was meant to avoid. That's coming up uh, momentarily, but it was um, 
It was almost 12 years ago to the day, Desi Doyen, when we were on the air in uh, Crawford, Texas. I'm sure you remember it very well. I do. Um, uh, we were on the ground at Camp Casey, what had been called Camp Casey, uh, named after Cindy Sheehan's son. He had been uh, killed during an, an ambush in Iraq. Uh, she was demanding a meeting with George W. Bush, the president at the time, who was hiding away at his ranch uh, nearby, uh, near uh, 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 in Crawford, Texas, there to she wanted a, an explanation as to what the noble purpose was that uh, George W. Bush had said thousands of troops were being killed for, including her son in Iraq. And it was on Sunday, August 28, 2005. We were on the ground there covering that huge protest in uh, at Camp Casey in Crawford, Texas, that uh, someone had sent. We were actually we were the only ones broadcasting uh, pretty much around the clock at that point from on the ground. Um, someone had sent us an email <clears throat> uh, from the including this uh, warning from the National Weather Service, uh, which I at first, you'll recall, had refused to re to read it on air. We had yes. to take a break because I thought it must have been. Fake news. Yeah, you told me you thought, is this a hoax? Right. We didn't use the word fake news back then, no. but I, yeah, it was really troubling. It said, uh, and this was uh, August 28, 2005, concerning Hurricane Katrina, devastating damage expected. A most powerful hurricane with unprecedented strength. Most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks, perhaps longer. At least one half of well-constructed homes will have roof and floor failure. All gabled roofs will fail. Remember this? Oh, yeah. I the majority remember. of industrial buildings will become non-functional. All wood-framed, low-rising apartment buildings will be destroyed. High-rise office and apartment buildings will sway uh, to the point of total collapse. Airborne de uh, debris will be widespread. Persons, pets, and livestock exposed to the winds will face certain death. If struck, for power outages will last for weeks. Water shortage shortages will make human suffering incredible by modern standards. This was the National Weather Service at the time. Uh, livestock left exposed to the winds will be killed. It was an extraordinary statement that I thought must have been uh, a hoax at the time. It seems so dire. Well, um, we're beginning to hear uh, words like that again now describing Hurricane Harvey. Forty inches of rain is expected. Catastrophic storm surge flooding are, is expected. The combination of heavy rain and life-threatening, that's a quote, life-threatening storm surges, flooding and strong winds could leave wide swaths of South Texas, quote, uninhabitable for weeks or months once again according to the national weather service in uh, in houston this is the type of uh, language that has not been heard frankly since hurricane katrina which as you'll recall left more than 1800 people dead back in uh, 2005 as it turns out when hurricane katrina came ashore uh it had there was fear that it would be a uh a level five category five at the time yes and it came ashore as just a, a category one when it finally came ashore 
but it wasn't the so it wasn't the winds that uh, ended up uh, killing all of those people. It was the flooding in New Orleans and and the levees that gave way. Yes, flooding is the major cause of death in storms like these. It's not necessarily the storm that causes the problem or even the high winds. As you note, I think it's nine out of ten of the deaths that are associated with large extreme storms like this are due to flooding. And that's the big concern now. Uh, yes, the winds as this uh, comes ashore as a Category 3 is a huge concern. But this storm now is going to stick around for some four or five days, leading to some 40 inches of rain. Is that yes, true? Yes, yes. What happens is that right now, the, the way that it looks like is that the, the hurricane models are indicating that it's going to uh, track along the coast, going eastward from Corpus Christi to Louisiana. And it's going to stall over that area of the southeast Texas coast for days, dumping all of its rain that it has been gathering up from this extra warm Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico right now is one of the hottest spots on Earth in the ocean. Extra warm. I wonder how it got so warm in the Gulf of Mexico. Exactly. So that gives that hurricane a lot more energy and it sucks up a lot more moisture. And so if it stalls, which is it is forecast to do, to stall, that it will just dump all that rain. And that's where we're getting the forecasts of up to maybe 40 inches of rain. Remember, that's three and a half feet. Yeah of rain over three to four days as the as it stalls. National so, Weather Service says rainfall of this magnitude will cause catastrophic and life-threatening flooding. Yeah, what's what's different about this one, um, you know, and, and what's shocking about it is mm -hmm. I, I follow Andrew Friedman of Mashable. He's a meteorologist on Twitter. He's very clear, and he says, we are all searching for superlatives here. There are no, there is no historical analog for this <clears throat> particular storm. There are similar storms that had similar uh, fe features to them, but not all combined all at once like this one, especially the part where it's going to stall for a couple of days, and the the part where it's it's not going to move inland at all because there are because of the nature of the jet stream and the nature of how our weather patterns are changing it's not going to move inland like a normal storm that's why it's going to stall right there and continue to travel and continue to dump its rain but that means that you'll be getting a boatload of rain inland but you'll also have the storm surge um, from the ocean so that means that all that rain that's landing is going to want to go out to the ocean on the watershed to want to drain out to the ocean but because of the high winds of the hurricane and because of the storm surge which is projected to be 12 feet in some areas, that's going to be pushing that drainage back inland. So it won't have a place to go. And we are having, because uh, since you mentioned that these changing weather patterns, we are have about to have yet another record uh, heat wave here in California. And it is, in fact, that heat wave coming into California and the West Coast that is helping to to block to block this uh, storm from moving inland and dissipating. Yeah. And, it, and is it possible then that this storm could, uh, with some of the computer models show that it's going to, it could loop yeah, out. That's and the come extra back. worst part about it is that that could push the uh, Hurricane Harvey as it tracks along the coast. It could push it back out potentially into the Gulf of Mexico where it could reform, re energize, and pick up some more rain and then hit again as a second landfall, again projected to be maybe even a category two or three again into Houston just a couple of days later. So that that can be even worse than the projections already are. And we talked about, uh, in our latest Green News report, we had talked about uh, the concerns in New Orleans, uh, particularly because their pumping system is down, even if there are these parts of the pumping system is down, even if the 
uh, even if it gets hit there again to some extent and the levees, uh, if they hold and everything else, there are still concerns about flooding in places like New Orleans? Yes, they had a catastrophic rain event just a couple of weeks ago, and they're still recovering from that. And they're not going to be able to handle much rain. They'll be able to handle, they're going to potentially evacuate the city if it looks like they might uh, get a significant amount of rain, a significant amounts of rain. You know, we're talking about these areas getting a year's worth of rain in just two or three days. You know, this is stuff that, uh, Des, you, of course, have been warning about on the Green News Report for I don't know how many years now, pushing a decade at this point. So you know this issue very well, but also uh, you know this area very well. This is Yes, my family is, is from this area. Yeah, and, of course, I always make fun of Texas and blame you for everything bad that goes on in Texas. But your family is, is, is from Texas. You spent a lot of time down in Galveston growing up. Yes. Uh, is, I know, have you, uh, I know you, you've spoken or you heard from some of your family members first. Are they doing okay there? Are they evacuating the area? Uh, at the moment, no, they're not evacuating, but they're also no longer on the coast. We no longer have family in Galveston anymore. Mm. Um, my family has been in the Texas Gulf Coast area mm -hmm. for, for over a century, and my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother on both sides of my family both survived the catastrophic 1900 storm in Galveston that was the worst natural disaster ever to hit. U.S. history. 6,000 estimated people died because of the storm surge. Um, my mom tells stories about evacuating for hurricanes. The time that they didn't when she was a little girl and the house literally blowing down behind them as they evacuated the house and the house collapsed behind them. You know, we have such stories like that. Nobody really lives on the coast anymore because of those stories. So they're all OK now and they've got all their uh, their water ready to go. They're all ready to hunker down and uh, they're outside, luckily outside the areas of uh, considered to be uh, flood warnings. But some near uh, Houston, which is expected to face uh, some pretty bad. Yeah. That, if it well. hits again, then that could be a problem. And uh, right now, uh, a, a new uh, study is uh, an estimate, at least from this uh, group, CoreLogic, says that uh, Hurricane Harvey could leave behind some $40 billion worth of damage uh, with uh, about 230,000 homes on the Texas coast in the path of that storm. Uh, and that reconstruction of those homes could reach 40 billion. You know, we talk a lot about uh, or we hear from you know Republicans talking about, well, even if global warming is going on and we barely think it's going on, even if it's going on, oh, it's a totally natural thing. And even if it isn't natural, even if it's man-made, still, we can't afford to do anything about it. It's too expensive to do anything about it. And then. You've got storms like this, which could cost 40 billion. And this estimate, by the way, had to do with just the winds. I don't even think it spoke about the uh, the, the flooding that the could surge, occur. Yes. Yeah, all over. Um, you could have uh, 20 billion dollars worth of damage in uh, Houston alone. Uh, you know, the, the the time and the the resources we say spang, saying that we don't have the time or the resources to do something about this uh, is costing us billions year after year in these floods which and these storms which is it my imagination or are these things getting worse as far as uh rainfall specifically yes. between superstorm sandy what we're looking at now yeah 
You are not wrong about this. Uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, did a study recently, um, in the last couple of years, where Mm -hmm. they noted that in different parts of the country, rainfall has become more intense, and the frequency of heavy rainfall events has also increased. Um, I think in some areas of of the country in the Northeast, intense rainfall events have increased by 71%, and the same thing down in Texas, about 67%. And Specifically for the Houston area, uh, NOAA finds that heaviest rainfall days have increased by 167 percent. Wow. Yes. So this is this is a big deal. And it seems like it's a mistake that we continue to make over and over again as a country Uh, because two things to keep in mind the national flood insurance program which is why the the federal government had to take over flood insurance because insurance companies said we're done we're not going to pay for this anymore the national flood insurance program is already over budget it has been requesting additional funding from congress for years now because we have so many of these catastrophic extreme rainfall events that they've pretty much depleted the program. We have lots of repeat properties that require continual continual and repeated uh, flood insurance claims. Mm. But the other thing that they're not really talking about right now, because they're dealing with evacuations, is the pollution. You know, the Gulf Coast area is responsible for about 25 to 30 percent of the nation's refining capacity. Mm -hmm. So the refiners are going to be flooded. And when they're flooded, we're talking about chemicals from the oil industry, toxic chemicals that are going to be going into this flooding that are going to be there. It's also intent probably going to flood the sewage treatment systems of these areas as well. And there is no small amount of irony here that we have so many uh, oil and gas refineries down on the Gulf Coast uh, and uh, the the oil platforms that have to be shut down here. No small amount of irony that the very people, the very industry that is helping to uh, feed these new storms are the ones that are now getting hit, that are now going to, uh, as you say, as you suggest, cause more and more uh, pollution uh, if these refineries flood out. And they're going to be flooded for days, if not weeks. And the additional irony is this is great for them. Oil prices are going to shoot up in the wake of this. Retail gas prices have already shot up uh, about 10, 15 cents a gallon, depending on where you are. And it will affect nationwide supplies because, again, this is a third of the nation's refining capacity. This is where our gasoline comes from. This is fantastic. What a gig. You cause the problem and then you profit from it. Well, there you go. And by the way, we've got speaking of problems, Donald Trump. Uh, he has appointed a, a FEMA director, yes. but apparently there is uh, no nobody appointed yet at uh, at NOAA and uh, right. So Brock Long, yeah. Brock Long is the new FEMA director right. for the Trump administration. The good news is he is a well-respected, seasoned emergency management professional, as far as I understand it. So people seem to be comforted by that fact. But you're right; the Trump administration only has acting directors in positions at the Department of Homeland Security, at NOAA, at the U.S. Geological survey, only an acting director at the National Hurricane Center, Mm. and there is no science advisor currently at the White House. I will say uh, to a certain extent, I I may be somewhat comforted by that in that these acting directors, I think, are usually... Co- career officials yeah. who understand the problem, who have been there, who are not the uh, 
uh, the the heck of a job Michael Brown type uh, characters. So maybe there's some people who, though they're not permanent appointees, they actually know what they're doing. So maybe we'll find out. Maybe we can take some comfort from that. Uh, okay, quick break here, and we are back with uh, Donald Trump's. Boy, you know, do we really need this sort of thing right now uh, with all of this, uh, with, with all that the nation is really facing? Donald Trump's latest completely uncalled for crisis being forced upon our nation's military and its members and its families. That story's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Right, right, you're bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. You used to. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Thursday, Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois harshly criticized President Donald Trump's announced ban on letting transgender individuals serve in the U.S. military. She said, when I was bleeding to death in my Black Hawk helicopter after I was shot down, I didn't care if the American troops risking their lives to help save me were gay, straight, transgender, black, white or brown. Duckworth is a U.S. Army veteran who lost both of her legs in the Iraq war. And she said in a statement, all that mattered was that they didn't leave me behind. The Wall Street Journal reported on Wednesday night that the White House was prepared to send the Pentagon guidance on how to implement Trump's Twitter announced ban on transgender service members. Duckworth said that such a ban would harm our military readiness she called on Democratic and Republican lawmakers to enact legislation that prevents it from taking effect if Trump continues to push this policy. She said, if you are willing to risk your life for our country and you can do the job, you should be able to serve no matter your gender identity or sexual orientation. Anything else is not just discriminatory. It is disruptive to our military and it is counterproductive to our national security. On Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal's Gordon Lubald reported that the White House is expected to send this guidance to the Pentagon in the coming days on how to implement this uh, new administration ban on transgender people in the military. Uh, they will be issuing a policy that will allow Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, apparently, to consider a service member's ability to deploy 
in deciding whether to kick them out of the military or not. The White House memo also directs the Pentagon to deny admittance to transgender individuals and to stop spending on medical treatment regimens for those currently serving. According to U.S. officials familiar with the document, it's a two and a half page memo that gives Mattis six months to prepare uh, to to fully implement this new ban. Mattis, uh, under this new policy, is expected to consider what is described as deployability, the ability to serve in a war zone, participate in exercises or live for months on a ship as the primary legal means to decide whether to separate service members from the military. The policy, of course, was announced by Donald Trump in a series of tweets late last month, which reportedly took even the commanders of all of the military branches by complete surprise. The tweets had indicated his intention to restore a ban on open transgender service that had been lifted last year under uh, former President Barack Obama in a move that also prov uh, provided for military medical care for the condition known as gender dysphoria, as recognized by the American Psychiatric Association as a medical issue. Sue Fulton, the former president of Sparta, a military organization for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people that advocates for open service, is quoted by the uh, journal as saying the transgender people are just as deployable as other service members who may undergo procedures when they are at home base, just as other service members schedule shoulder surgery or gallbladder surgery. Pentagon officials have been awaiting policy guidance from this White House since Trump's July tweets. The move by Obama last year was among a series of steps toward opening the military to larger segments of the U.S. population, including rescinding the Don't Ask, Don't Tell prohibition against gays serving openly and open, uh, opening most combat jobs to women. Yet in his tweets in late July, Trump agreed with so-called conservative lawmakers who wanted to backtrack on those Obama policies. Trump said the United States government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. He said our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and cannot be burdened, burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruptions that transgender in the military would entail. Uh, estimates of how many transgender service members are openly serving in the military range from around 1,300 to around 6,600, according to a RAND Corporation study that was commissioned by the Pentagon. Not all of them uh, seek treatment for gender dysphoria, according to the study. And defense officials have been perplexed on how they can legally or morally justify separating open transgender service members from the service, particularly those who were invited in, who were invited to identify themselves uh, as openly uh, transgendered. That, tr that RAND report uh, concluded that the cost of treating transgender members is anywhere between $2.5 million to $8.5 million a year. Uh, compare that to the total military health care expenditures currently, $6.2 billion per year as of 2014. As advocates uh, such as trans veterans have noted, the cost of trans military members 
Um, their health care is one one hundred. Well, let's see, one one thousandth of a percent of the Department of Defense annual spending. Uh, over at uh, Vote Vets, uh, the nation's largest progressive group of veterans, uh, they issued a statement in reply to Trump's original Twitter announcement last month. Uh, saying that uh, our professional military, implying that they simply cannot handle diversity in the force, is an insult. For those who have served, transgender service is not a problem, Will Fisher said, the uh, director at uh, VoteVets. In fact, it allows the best into our military, and it is an asset, he said. They went and uh, VoteVets took a poll of uh, uh, 1,000 voters released this week, finding that a vast majority of voters from all parties, some 69%, do not support this ban. And they agree with the statement that if someone can do the job, they should be able to serve. That result was shared by majorities of both Democrats and Republicans, as well as independents. 86% of Democrats agree. 69% of independents agree. And even 48% of Republicans agree. That outnumbers uh, just 39% of Republicans who'd prefer a, a ban on transgender service members uh, and, I guess, presumably kick out those who are, who are already open and honorably serving. VoteVet says uh, there is no reason for a transgender ban. Military isn't asking for it. Americans don't want it. This is about Trump embrace of hate. Say vote vets, period. Joining us now is Sue Fulton. She was uh, quoted in that Wall Street Journal article. She uh, is a 1980 West Point graduate, a member of the first co-ed class at West Point. She was commissioned in the Army, served as a platoon leader and company commander in Germany. She uh, eventually atta uh, attained the rank of captain. She's a founding member of OutServe, an advocacy group for LGBT soldiers. And she's a uh, past president of Sparta, which was founded in 2013 as an association advocating for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people who currently serve or have served in the U.S. Armed Forces and their families. Sue Fulton, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad. Really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, before we talk about this new policy uh, being reported recently by the Wall Street Journal, uh, as I understand, your organization, Sparta, worked with the previous administration on the original policy that had lifted the ban on transgender people in, uh, in the military last year. Am I right about that? That's correct. And to be more precise, we worked directly with the Pentagon. Uh, to develop a good policy, um, and and our our role in that was to be a resource, mm -hmm. an information resource, um, pulling together um, documents that uh, had been um, promulgated by uh, uh, police departments and fire departments across the U.S. that have incorporated transgender people, as well as uh, militaries around the globe that include transgender people, and the State Department and Department of Labor that had policies to integrate transgender people. Um, and there were a lot of different approaches, but there is, uh, across the board, um, all of these organizations have been successful integrating transgender people into their work. And this work is analogous to much of what the uh, U.S. Armed Forces do. 
do. Is that was that process? Uh, how long did that process take uh, to pull together all those stakeholders and uh, uh, opinions and reports and everything else before uh, the policy actually was uh, was announced by the uh, by the Pentagon? Well, we spent uh, as an organization we spent about six months, and I'm indebted to uh, Bryn Tannehill, who's a Annapolis grad, former Navy lieutenant commander. Um, Allison Robinson, who's a West Point grad, former Army captain, uh, we pulled this uh, information together um, to provide. It ended up being like a 142-page document that we provided to the Pentagon um, in support mm-hmm. of their information gathering. The Pentagon itself studied this inf- this uh, this issue for more than a year, um, ten months specifically, with a working group that was focused on answering the questions of readiness and cost. Um, that uh, ironically are being raised by the president um, after, I imagine, no study at all. Um, And that's what's interesting about this, uh, if not infuriating, is that the Pentagon studied this in detail. They brought in people, and listen, we were an advocacy group saying, look, it is impairing readiness Mm. to keep transgender people um, in the closet, if you will, mm-hmm. to say to them, not only you know are you continuing to bear the burden of service, but you have to bear the additional burden that you're not allowed to come out, you're not allowed to get your necessary health care. Mm-hmm. So we provided that information from one side, but to be fair, as always, Department of Defense sought information from all sides of this discussion. They sought uh, subject matter expertise uh, from across the country, not just from military sources, but non-military sources, so they did not make this decision to open transgender service willy-nilly. They made it based on their judgment about military readiness. And, and that's as it should be. <laughs> I, I hear people telling me, well, this should be about readiness. And the answer is, this is absolutely about readiness. This is about having the strongest force, strongest, most effective military force that we can muster to protect and defend the interests of the United States. And as part of that, the Pentagon has determined that allowing transgender people to serve, to keeping that talent within the, within the armed forces and continuing to recruit talent from as broad a pool as possible, mm-hmm. is right, is the best thing to create this, this strongest possible force. Um, and, and that decision was made carefully now that decision of being overthrown based on no evidence, and in fact based on saying that the evidence that the Pentagon itself um, uncovered and determined to be accurate was somehow should somehow be thrown out the window. And that's what I was trying to. That's why I wanted to ask about that previous policy because it wasn't as if the the, the or or maybe the the Pentagon was not dragged kicking and screaming towards this. Uh, uh, policy. They they looked at it. They they took some time looking at it, and they found that this was an event. Uh, they they eventually came to the conclusion that this would improve readiness. This was something that was good. It, it was not something that was forced upon them. Correct. That's absolutely correct. In fact, I would point to the fact that um, they delayed one piece of the policy, and that was accessions, and it was entirely focused on. How, you know, how long should you be uh, stable in your target gender before you're allowed to enlist? Mm. So as a civilian, when you enlist in the armed forces, like what is that period of time you need to be stable so mm-hmm. that you can be successful in completing basic training? And there was a disagreement 
um, among the services. And so they said, okay, let's keep this one piece. Let's do six months more um, research. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just take a, another look at this, another go-around on this piece, and then come back on July 1, um, and, and hopefully at that point the services will have come to a consensus. Well, as you may know, by that time, you know, Secretary Mattis had come on and wanted, and, and you know, he's catching up mm-hmm. on some of these issues, and he wanted to extend that period of time. So that piece of the policy was never finalized, and now is just thrown out the window again. But But I think it actually shows that there was such attention to the detail of this, to mm. getting this right, that they weren't afraid to say, all right, let's, let's take a little more time with this one piece. And the reality is, it wasn't that they didn't want to bring anybody in. In fact, um, there was never a, a disagreement. Unfortunately, there was never a disagreement on bringing in people from ROTC or the academies. But because they're an accessions point, they were caught up in this. But it was just a matter of, okay, what's this, how many months? are we talking about? What is it, six months, or is it 12 months, or is it 18 months? Mm-hmm. And that was the disagreement. Um, this, is, this was done so intentionally and so deliberately and with such care to the idea of how do we maintain and improve readiness? What is the policy that brings us to the strongest possible force? And that's why the president's actions are, are absurd. And, and yeah, we have a series of tweets and, what are we, about three weeks of uh, discussion that seems to have uh, taken place behind closed doors. I don't know that anybody was uh, involved in them from the various stakeholders. Uh, and uh, a, a leak of a two-and-a-half-page memo, and not even a leak of the actual memo, as I understand it, but uh, people who have seen the memo explaining what it is. And now, under this new policy, if Wall Street Journal has it correctly, Correct. Uh, they are considering uh, what they call deployability, um, and that is to be the measure for whether a transgendered U.S. troop can continue to serve. Now, when I hear that, Sue Fulton, um, uh, well, I guess my question is, you know uh, about this stuff w- far better than I do. Uh, what does deployability mean? Isn't deployability already a consideration for all service members, or does that put some sort of special pressure only onto transgendered service uh, members? Um, Look, deployments are a fact of life, a way of life Mm -hmm. in the U.S. military. And the reality is transgender people are no less deployable than anybody else. Um, We have, you know, yes, there there are transgender people who may choose to have one or more procedures. Mm-hmm. But in fact, the recovery time is relatively quick. You're talking about a population that's young and healthy. Let me give you an example. Uh, well, and first, let me say that the average transgender person would undergo, you know, undergo maybe one procedure, mm-hmm. okay? Um, not every person needs, it, it, not every person finds it medically necessary uh, to complete you know, a whole suite of, you know, facial Mm -hmm. feminization surgery, trachea shave, any number of possible procedures. Mm -hmm. But that's a medical determination that's made between the medical team and the individual. But just as an example of the extremes, we have um, an infantry NCO that's actually undergone three procedures and has been non-deployable for a total, a total of 30 days. Mm. Because that NCO is fit, is healthy, and schedules these so they do not interfere with deployments, schedule these so that they're in conjunction with their leave time. Listen, we've got another, we've got a young officer 
who has had, this is the only person that we have in Sparta. We have 600 transgender Americans who are actively serving in the United States Armed Forces. And we have one person who has undergone mm. four procedures while they're on active duty. <laughs> and that officer has, has been non-deployable for less than three months. Right. Has never missed a deployment with her unit. Has deployed remotely in the jungles of Malaysia in addition to standard deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And has performed so well she was selected for company command after her transition. We are not, deployment is not a bar to transgender people. And I think this mention of deployability is a red herring to suggest that transgender people um, impact readiness for some reason that they're non-deployable. I've already seen some absolute absolutely bogus articles from the extreme right wing mm -hmm. about being non-deployable for a year at a time. It just doesn't happen. And we know that we have had people serving openly for over a year, have undergone procedures while they're on active duty, and just typically they have three weeks where they're non-deployable. Three weeks. I, That's more than your non-deployability for a shoulder surgery yeah. um, or a knee surgery, which are very common. Yeah, and I mean, as I'm reading this, uh, as I was uh, reading the report in the Wall Street Journal, they're talking about, uh, quote, the ability to serve in a war zone, to participate in exercises or live for months on a ship, and that this would be used as the primary legal means to decide whether to separate service members from the military. Uh, you'll recall this better than me, Sue uh, Fulton, but it seems like... That's the exact type of language that we used to hear when uh, considering whether women were worthy of serving in the military <laughs> and in combat. I remember Newt Gingrich talking about, oh, they can't they can't live in foxholes for uh, days at a time. Uh, th that's what it sounds like to me, sort of the same old arguments that we've heard and that have been dispelled when it comes to uh, women serving, when it comes to, uh, you know, gay members uh, serving. Am I right? Is this sort of just the same old nonsense? It's absolute nonsense. Look, Sparta, we have members who are um, in, uh, you know, in transition or transitioned who are right now in Afghanistan, in Iraq, on ships, on subs. We've had people who were in the process of transitioning. Mm -hmm. Right, which is the time it's supposedly, oh, well, you're non-deployable for your time. They're in the process of transition in Afghanistan on submarines mm -hmm. where, you're, where you're underway for six months at a time. We've had that experience. The military's had that experience, which is why they haven't raised this as an issue. What's interesting is you said, you know, supposedly they've seen this two-and-a-half-page memo. Actually, to be clear... No one outside of the White House that we've been able to find, including the reporters, has seen the two-and-a-half-page memo. They've been briefed on it. And the other interesting thing is they have floated um, uh, straw men mm -hmm. about what this policy was going to be before. And in the past it was, well, because of the extreme cost. And as you remember, that was shortly after the tweet there where cost was brought up. Right. And it was just knocked down because it's such a tiny percentage. And... And in fact, what I, I like to point out to people, because I don't want to compare it to other treatments, because frankly, service members deserve medically necessary care, mm -hmm. period. That's our contract with our service members. Yeah. But here, here's, here's an example. Uh, excuse me. Here's a comparison. Yeah. The cost to train replacements for just two of our transgender military officers mm -hmm. would pay for transgender health care for the entire <laughs> force. Oh, man. For the entire force. And they're talking about displacing thousands. 
so of it, transgender service members who are currently on duty. On duty. Yeah, the, and and that kind of brings me to my next point: is uh, you know what kind of turmoil is this now causing uh, among LGBT uh, members and veterans? But you know, particularly in the active military, isn't this the very type of disruption? Uh, to our service members and and their mission that that isn't that the very thing that Trump sort of claimed he was trying to avoid by implementing this ban in the first place. Uh, what what are you hearing from folks who are still serving uh, about this? I mean, this must be unbelievably upsetting to sort of wait to hear whether you're going to be tossed out of the military for something that you've uh, you know been welcomed into the military for uh, for more than a year now. Well, it's tough. I mean, one thing I will say is you have to keep in mind that someone who is not only serving in our U.S. military, who's, who's raised their right hand and volunteered life and limb in service of this country, but also is an openly out transgender person, mm-hmm. those individuals have more courage than you and me. And I see it every day. Mm -hmm. But what I would call your attention to is not just what they and their families are undergoing, but what their units are going through right now. Mm. The day of the tweets, we checked in with everybody, you know, what's going on, and over and over they told us, my sergeant came to me, my CO came to me, my buddies came to me. There was a, they pulled the whole company together to say, We don't accept policy through a tweet. We have your back. We want you to fight this. You belong here. That was over and over the message they got from their units. And why? Because of something, ironically, that the president himself said, that when you serve, when you've been, and remember, these folks have been serving openly for over a year, and some of them longer than that within their units. When you serve, and you go through these crucible experiences where you have to have each other's back, Mm -hmm. you are bonded together. And it's not about whether the person next to you is black, white, brown, whatever color, whatever race, whatever religion, whatever ethnicity, whatever gender, whatever sexual orientation, whatever gender identity. That is your brother. That is your sister. And there is a bond there that can't be broken. And we are seeing that as one of our biggest concerns, that you're disrupting the entire unit. When you pull out the commander, or you pull out the drill sergeant, the pilot, the doctor, the marine, the, um, the special forces operator from a team, and send them home for no reason other than we just don't like your kind anymore, mm. that disrupts the entire unit. And that's the impact on the mission. That I, that I believe the senior military leaders are most concerned with, and rightly so. Is setting aside for just one moment the issue of transgender, uh, th- there was a, a similar amount of, well, actually much more hand-wringing uh, for many years regarding open service by gays and lesbians uh, until that policy was finally lifted uh, under President Obama. To your knowledge, have there been any repercussions any problems with that policy since it was implemented that that might have somehow justified all of the years of of hand-wringing and concern about it or has it gone pretty smoothly (laughs) you know the everyone's hope um following the repeal of don't ask don't tell is that problems would be minimal problems have been zero 
it is widely considered, the repeal of, of, of Don't Ask, Don't Tell is widely considered by the Pentagon and people in the force to be an unqualified success. In fact, uh, to quote somebody else, a big nothing burger. <laughs> yes. that, that it was a long time coming, should have been done a lot earlier. And, and to be fair, I have to say that this has probably helped in the integration of transgender service members because people tried to resurrect the same horror stories um, about unicohesion and what about the bathrooms, and it's all nonsense. What drives unit cohesion, the cohesion that counts, which is task cohesion, working together to, to, to accomplish the mission, what drives that are different skills pulling together to solve one problem. And our transgender service members have been key to that. Um, and the other, oh, the other horror story that always comes up is showers and bathrooms. And it came up in Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And there has been zero issue. And part of that is people don't understand that the lack of privacy um, is pretty extensive. What you learn downrange, I mean, men and women are in very close quarters. Mm. And you learn to manage your own privacy. Troops are very ingenious about <laughs> figuring out, you know, where to put up a curtain and how to protect your own individual privacy and yeah. how to take care of yourself and then get on with a the mission. They have to be. They, they're in remote locations, men, women, um, gay, straight, transgender, and they figure it out. It's not a problem. And the, so, uh, yeah, I think we learned a lot from Don't Ask, Don't Tell that's applicable now. This uh, seems just, uh, frankly, my opinion, I don't know if you share it or not, but kind of insulting to the military, this entire matter. Uh, it, it, last question here, and you can respond to that as well if you like, but if the military is not even calling for this, if the American people are not even calling for this, as that vote vet uh, poll finds, uh, what's going on here? Why is this happening at all, Sue Fulton? Yeah, and, and let me just put a plug. Vote Vets is an outstanding organization. We, we've uh, uh, known those folks for a long time, and, and they stand up for veterans in, in a unique way, trying to get veterans uh, in, in elected office, which mm -hmm. I think would be good for the whole country. Mm -hmm. um, listen, near as we can tell... Here's what we've seen with this president. He is influ highly influenced by the people around him. In this case, it seems by a number of accounts that this came from um, partly from conservative members of Congress, but mostly from Vice President Mike Pence. Mm. Mike Pence is infamous for his, um, his stance that basically LGBT people um, should not be considered full citizens. Um, he's, he took away rights of LGBT people in Indiana until he was shut down. And, mm -hmm. and, and best we understand it, this was him going to the president and saying, you know, he wanted this done. And, and, and there was some discussion that ended up with the tweets. But, but again, this is the president being influenced by someone around him who sold him hard on an idea. And so he just did it. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that, um, Part of the reason that we can't rely on consistency um, from this commander-in-chief is that he's so easily influenced by people around him. And that's, an, and that's I think, what happened here. Uh, meanwhile, you know, he's, you know he may, this may make political points with his ever-shrinking base, but he's interfering with the Pentagon's ability to get the job done. 
to accomplish the mission. And that should be of concern to everyone. It sure should. Sue Fulton, past president of Sparta, uh, which you can uh, get more information on at SpartaPride.org. Uh, and you can follow them on the Twitters at Sparta underscore pride. You can also follow Sue at on the Twitters at Sue Fulton. Really appreciate you joining us here today, uh, Sue. I think you're fantastic. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll be uh, pestering you again in the future to come on and talk about uh, these and other related issues, no doubt. Thank you so much, Brad. It's been a privilege. Thank you. And for your service, both uh, in the military and thereafter, all greatly appreciated. Okay, a quick break, and we're back with our few closing minutes here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, how's this for timing? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As we uh, went off air, Des, uh, breaking news from Fox. (laughs) President Trump has ordered the military to stop admitting transgender individuals into the military. Wow. Sending guidance to the Pentagon uh, on Friday that the White House wants implemented by March of 2018, according to Fox News. And uh, as I'm reading this, uh, some of the other news services are now confirming same. Uh, So going with Fox here, the uh, president signed and transmitted his directive to the Department of Defense, including the Army, Navy, Air Force, as well as Department of Homeland Security, which oversees the Coast Guard directs the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of Homeland Security to make the changes by March 23 of next year. So that's, what, uh, about seven months. Um, The directive reinstates the ban on military service for transgender individuals, halts military expenses on sexual reassignment surgery, except for those who have already begun medical procedures, uh, implements criteria for whether transgender individuals already in the military should be allowed to continue to serve. Wow. Uh, A senior administration official uh, said in President Trump's judgment, what judgment? The previous administration failed to identify a sufficient basis to conclude that terminating longstanding policy and practice would not hinder military effectiveness, disrupt unit cohesion, and tax military, military resources. Boy, after that conversation with Sue Fulton, Hearing that crap uh, really kind of makes my blood boil. Yeah, it's uh, this is going to be another unnecessary, completely useless and foolish attack on our military. And they, cruel. They, they know how to do this. Cruel. They're fine. It, cruel to the people uh, who are involved here. Trump's uh, direction to the Pentagon, uh, Fox notes, comes on the same week that he stood before an audience of 2,000 service members at Fort Myer, Virginia, Monday, calling for unity, saying every person 
who puts on the uniform makes our nation proud. Trump said they all come they all come from across our land. They represent every race, ethnicity and creed. Notice he didn't say anything about gender (laughs) in that uh, comment on Monday, did he? No. But they all pledge the same oath, fight for the same cause and operate as one team with one shared sense of purpose. Unless, of course, they are transgender, in which case they should get the hell out of our military. Apparently, we don't need you here. Man, uh, it's 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 ridiculously stupid. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me while Sue was talking was that uh, we could be taking somebody who could be the most brilliant military strategist of all time. But because they have this external quality that the Trump administration cannot deal with, cannot stand, then we cannot have that person who could be the most best person ever not serve in our military and that the military does not even want the military does not want to get rid of these people right uh as uh, sue fulton made clear just incredible well um other than sue all of my plans for today's show have been uh, completely tossed asunder by uh, by the hurricane in the Gulf and by Donald Trump. Uh, so uh, we'll return to uh, those things maybe on our next thrilling episode. I guess we'll have to see what uh, continues on with Harvey, which uh, as my father's name, nobody's named Harvey. You never hear the name <laughs> Harvey anymore other than six foot rabbits and my dad. And now Harvey is causing massive destruction uh, across the South. Nice going, Dad. All right, we'll get out. We'll figure all of this out next time. Uh, until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Sue Fulton uh, from SpartaPride.org, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. You can download uh, this show and any other anytime for free at bradblog.com. My great thanks to those of you who help us uh, continue to do what we do here by becoming active supporters at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you very much for that. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters where we hope you'll find, follow, and share us worldwide. I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.